Today's episode is on sex trafficking. This topic specifically is the one that really turns my stomach. Welcome everybody. I am your host, Barb Jordan. As we move forward in this topic, I want you to keep in mind that sex trafficking happens to both male and females, although the majority of the cases happen to females. And after listening to other episodes of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect, we've heard some familiar phrases, some familiar terms, people that weave their way into your life, and the next thing you know, they're a part of your life, and we give them our trust. And that's one of the things that our expert is going to discuss today. And he's also going to discuss some key phrases, manipulation, intimidation, emotional abuse, ways that the traffickers keep control of a situation. One of the biggest things, we probably won't be surprised about it, but maybe we're going to learn it on a different level, is how perilous the internet can be. So the importance of being aware, not only of this subject, but how to address it in conversation and how you can make an impact to save others is vitally as important. So I want to get to our expert and I want to tell you a little bit about him. I'm going to need to take a a deep breath because he has quite the resume. He's a veteran 14 years on the LA Sheriff Department. He worked nonprofits providing direct services to victims of human trafficking. He served as the VP of Justice and Restoration with Saving Innocence in LA, which works with minors whom are victims of sex trafficking. He served as the Chief Operating Officer of End Slavery Tennessee in Nashville working with victims of both sex and labor trafficking and operating safe houses. He has spoken, trained, consulted, conducted security operations in an undercover capacity to help victims of human trafficking. His work has taken him to eight different countries. He currently is a professor at the University of Alabama doing research and teaching human trafficking. He's pursuing his PhD in human trafficking and exploitation. And he recently wrote the statewide protocol for the state of Alabama. I am thrilled today to have this expert join us, Chris Lim. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. It's an honor to be with you. Wow. Uh, Now, listen, we're talking about a very heavy topic. I think it's a topic that is is fearful. I think it scares a lot of people. So just to start off, who are the most vulnerable for sex trafficking? Well, I think the most vulnerable for sex trafficking are young girls. Um, Although we should acknowledge the fact that Adult women are vulnerable and men and boys as well. But by and large, young girls, for the most part, are the most vulnerable population. What age group is targeted the most? Really anywhere from 10 or 11 years old up into their early 20s. 
what makes them vulnerable? We know that the sex traffickers look for vulnerabilities. What makes these specifically the young teens, what makes them vulnerable? That's a great question. I think key to really understanding both the issue of sex trafficking and the solutions around um, human trafficking. And I think there could be a lot of things that make somebody vulnerable to human trafficking, but I, I kind of group them into maybe three different categories. One would be around economics and poverty. The second would be relationships or, or lack of healthy relationships. And then the third would be around um, aspirations um, or desires um, that an individual would have. When you say desires that an individual would have, would that be, we hear, you know, of course we always see things on TV and it never really gets to the meat of it. Is that somebody when we hear them say they promise you something like you can be a dancer, you can be a model. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, that's exactly the type of thing. Um, And typically, and that occurs a lot in the United States as one of the primary means that um, a young girl is kind of groomed for um, becoming a victim of human trafficking. The, uh, the trafficker will, will kind of manipulate conversation and, and just, ha- you know, start to have a conversation with, with her to try to identify what that might be. And so if she says something along the lines of what you just mentioned that, hey, you know, I think I, think I can dance and I love dancing, he'll use that to exploit her. Mm. Okay, well, let's talk about these predators that are traffickers. Who are these people? It can be anybody. Uh, and that's the scary part. It really runs the gamut of um, people. It could be male or female. Um, but again, predominantly, the traffickers are males. Uh, but it can be male or female. And they come from all walks of life, depending on the type of trafficking. You know, Jeffrey Epstein obviously made the news within the past year or two, and um, he's one demographic, but then there's also folks that are gang members that, you know, are that are uh, preying upon their population in their community, or there are folks that um, try, to, try to find victims on the internet. And so it can really run the gamut. Okay. You talk about the internet, but let me, you talked, we also talked a little bit about the myths or the legends. Oftentimes I see young women say, oh, I'm being targeted by a sex trafficker. They marked my car. Do you believe that sex traffickers make their initial contact in person or through the internet? It's, it's almost always through the internet nowadays. And um, the idea of being marked um, or being stalked in Walmart or, you know, something along those lines, um, that can happen and that does happen perhaps uh, very infrequently, though. Typically, it's um, somebody that is looking for their, their victims online. And um, I can, Barbara, if, if it's helpful, I can just kind of maybe share a story that, that brings together what this looks like and what the process, um, how it takes place and unfolds. Um, I'll, I'll use a fictitious name, Jennifer. And let's say Jennifer's a 14-year-old girl who just had an argument with her mom. And maybe it was a big blowout. And, um, you know, 
she's upset. And so she runs up to her room and gets out her cell phone, plops down on her bed and opens up her favorite social media app, whatever, whatever that is. And, and just starts to vent on there, you know, and, and just shares that, you know, I just had a big blowout with my mom. She doesn't understand me. She never gets, she doesn't get me, you know, et cetera. Well, traffickers will use algorithms and, and really sophisticated methods to search out for people that are doing that very thing. And so um, some of them that are, that are more sophisticated will actually tr- sort through dozens, if not hundreds of these types of conversations to really try to identify um, somebody that might be a good mark for them to groom as a victim of human trafficking. And so when a trafficker finds a conversation like that, he or she may, you know, um, respond back to them and just start a conversation, you know, wow, you know, I, sorry to hear that, you know, my, I've done the same thing with my dad. He doesn't understand me and he totally overreacts to everything that I say and, and all of that. And so what he's doing or she is doing at that time is building a connection trying to find some sort of common ground with their potential victim. And when the potential victim responds, then, you know, then they, they feel like there's a sort of a bond formed. And so um, the trafficker will use the internet and use conversations via the internet to really begin to sort through the greater population at large, if you will, to try to find their victims. And, um, and so they'll carry on a conversation and build a relationship like this for as long as it takes to build trust. And once they build trust, they now have two key elements. They have a common ground and they have trust. And so at some point they will likely uh, meet in person um, and or, you know, encourage her to, to share additional ways to contact them. Uh, via the internet to share photographs or, or videos or whatnot. Um, at that at at this point, then what the trafficker tries to do is get inside her head and really try to figure out what are those aspirations. Maybe she does want to be a dancer, and um, and maybe she wants to be a singer. You know, maybe she thinks she's got talent to go on these these shows that are on TV now. And and so you know, he might ask her, "Oh, well, why don't, why don't you sing something for me? Let me let me." Let me hear. And so she might scroll through her favorite, you know, Spotify or something like that, pick one of her favorite songs and begin to sing along with it. And then he'll just be over the top. Oh, you are amazing. You really do have talent. Um, I really think that we could do something and that you could be famous. And, and so he'll play on that. And then now he's got another level where he's affirming her and he's providing that hope towards those aspirations that, that he has, uh, that she has. And then from there, um, he'll um, inevitably try to do something that will give him leverage. And so they will, they'll begin a relationship and she will, she will think that he loves her. He'll tell her, wow, you know, that maybe after a few weeks, after a few months, however long this takes to kind of develop naturally you know, at some point he'll tell her, you know what, I really, I really love you. And I think that we have a future together. Um, and they'll just form this kind of quote unquote dating relationship. 
And she will really believe that that's true. Uh, I, I recently had a friend who was a, a, a survivor of human trafficking. And the way she described this aspect of the relationship to me, she said, Chris, you know, the love that he gave me was false, but the love that I gave him was real. And so when they have their, their victims at that point, um, you know, they'll, the, the victim will really comply with a, with a lot of different things that, that maybe are natural and normal and maybe some that aren't so natural and normal. Um, you know, in our example that we're using, we're using a fictitious girl that's 14 years old. And so he may, uh, he may encourage her to, to take uh, naked pictures or for them to have sex and videotape it and that sort of thing. And she may be hesitant, but Barb, we live in a culture that is just saturated with, with the sexualization of children. And we've really normalized that. And so it's easy for the trafficker to convince a young girl to do things that she wouldn't normally do or even think of um, because our culture has normalized it. And so she does these things and then inevitably he'll run into a problem and he'll say, oh, listen, you know what? I just, I lost my job and we don't have the money now to do the things that we, re- we really need to do for you to become this famous talent to do. And, um, but we're in this together and I believe in you and I, and here's what I need you to do for me. And he'll say, Hey, I I have a friend. I know this guy that if, if you sleep with him, that he'll, he'll give, give us money. And then she may freak out, you know, sleep with them. What are you talking about? I'm not going to do that. that. Are you crazy? And then he will say, well, you know, I've got these pictures of you, or I got these videos of you. And I would hate it for this to go out on the internet and all your friends to see that. Or I'd hate it if your parents saw those. And that might have to happen if you don't do this for us. And and so because she's conflicted and she feels like, well, he's got leverage on me for one thing. Another thing is that I really do love him and he loves me and I believe him and he believes in me. And so she does it and she, she loves him and hates herself for doing it. But now she's trapped and now he's got more leverage on her and it becomes this downward spiral where he now has her in his grasps as a victim of, of human trafficking. Um, so that's, that's kind of a simplistic story, but by and large, in effect, that's in large part how a victim is groomed to become a victim of human trafficking, in particular in the in Western states. Okay, that's a an excellent example, and I know there's a lot of truth to to that example. I want to go back to a few things that you mentioned. First of all, the internet, of course, can be so dangerous and. For being vigilant, we always say just because people say something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. So for people on the internet, they have to understand that just because somebody posts something or says that they live somewhere, it doesn't mean that they live there. But what I want to go back to is the first thing you said is the algorithms. What are they searching specifically in that algorithm? So they could be searching key terms. 
um, words, phrases, um, sometimes even emojis, um, you know, depending on the sophistication of the trafficker. Um, you know, there's obviously all different levels of sophistication. Um, some are not using software and that sort of thing. Some are just, you know, kind of your, your uh, like I mentioned, maybe a gang member or just uh, somebody that uh, is not as sophisticated and is just doing it the old fashioned way and just searching social media sites for people that are complaining about things. Um, but it can be um, kind of either of those approaches. And what about on the internet in regards to ads? Is that a way that they try to target their victims? Yeah, that is. Um, especially on some of these sites that um, you sell things, whether it be, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people might be familiar with Backpage that got taken down a couple years ago now by the federal government because of this very thing. Um, a lot of people are familiar with Craigslist where, you know, it's a, a website where you can sell cars or furniture or whatnot. Um, and so, um, so any kind of site like that where there's just naturally transitions going on or transactions going on, also dating websites, any and all dating websites um, are used uh, by traffickers to find victims. Um, the sugar daddy sites, that's big with, with um, college age girls and that sort of thing. Um, so there's a lot of different venues that can be used on online for that. When you talked about the example with Jennifer, the relationship obviously is private. He is in the background. He's in the shadows. The parents don't know about him. There's manipulation once the photographs are taken. And there's the phrase together. We can do this together. And I've talked about that in other shows. That's a classic way to let people know that you're a team when really you're not a team. So there's a lot of different ways that they're taking control of the situation. As you mentioned, what can people do, parents or friends, what can they do if they are starting to recognize that somebody is being isolated away from them? What are the warning signs they should look for? Um, you brought up some, some really great points there. So um, one thing, though, that I'll point out is that sometimes um, if, if it's a situation where, where it's a child, you know, living at home, sometimes the parents do know about this relationship. Um, and sometimes it appears to be kind of a normal um, relationship and, and, um, the girl's friends or family members might know about it. And, um, and he'll appear, you know, those of us that remember, um, um, leave it to Beaver, you know, know the character Eddie Haskell, you know? And so sometimes he might appear like that, like this nice young man who's very kind and treats their, their daughter or sister or friend well, and it's very polite and all of that. And so sometimes they, they, the trafficker is known, at least initially, by friends and family members. But to your point, there'll inevitably be a point of separation. And um, um, But actually, let me back up before that, because there is another element to, to see, too, in terms of what to look for. So in that grooming phase, the, um, if you're a parent and you're 
and your daughter is has a new relationship and she's coming home with maybe her nails done or her hair done or new clothes or new things in general, um, that might be an indication, you know, that um, typically a, a 13, 14, 15 year old girl is not going to have a boyfriend who can afford um, to do all of those things. Um, so that could be an indication. Another indication is um, a significant age difference. And so if a young girl has a boyfriend that is, uh, if she's, you know, 13, 14, 15, and he is 19, 20, 21, 22, that is also an indication. Um, so those are some things that, that um, can be looked for. But getting back to your point of the separation, you want to keep your eye open for some of those indicators, the early indications of separation, um, such as privacy. You know, if she becomes more private with the relationship and with him um, and is more secretive about what they're doing. Um, if there are, seems to be kind of a, a bunch of different excuses that for, for circumstances or things that just don't add up, those would be some early indications of separation. And then, and then some more obvious ones later on is where he really becomes more controlling and does isolate her, um, um, not just physically, but emotionally and, and other ways too, from friends and family members. Hmm. What type of locations do the traffickers use? What do you mean? Where, where do they where do they take their victims? So. What do they use motels? Do they use salons? What are different locations that the traffickers use with their victims? Yeah, um, sometimes that varies and it, it, and it can vary from community to community based on, um, you know, what's available. Um, but yeah, hotels is a big one. Um, a lot of trafficking is hotel based, um, obviously. And, you know, it's a, um, typically hotels where, um, they're able to use cash um, and and things like that, so there's less of a paper trail. Um, but it but it can be more upscale hotels and all of that. Um, sometimes private residences are used, um, depending on the type of trafficking. You know, it's it's um, common at truck stops, for example, for victims to go to truck stops and be forced to go from cab to cab and and that sort of thing. So, um, so it just depends on the type of trafficking and kind of what their, what their forte is, if you will. So let's just say I was fortunate enough to be at an upscale hotel and I saw something odd. Maybe it was the way that somebody opened the door and shut it quickly. And on the inside, maybe I saw some, a young girl and maybe I didn't, I just recognized the fear on her face or something. And over two or three days, it just seemed like odd behavior and I couldn't put my finger on it. What should people in the public do if they see odd behavior like that? Well, there's two things that you could do. One is there is a national human trafficking hotline um, that, that you can call. Um, and so um, you can call that. And the second is you can call local law enforcement, you know, if especially if it seems like there's something going on at the at that moment, um, you can you can call local law enforcement, and um, and they you know they may or may not 
have been trained in human trafficking. Um, but, um, but they'll at least respond, you know, and they, and they can kind of get an idea of what's going on. Um, the national um, hotline will do a couple things. One is um, they can take that information and filter it down to um, a local um, human trafficking expert. Um, and so that's not going to be an, an immediate response. So if there's an immediate response, obviously you want to call 911. Um, the other thing that the national hotline will do is they kind of aggregate all of these calls. And so you can, can begin to see trends if you're law enforcement or service providers of where human trafficking might be occurring. And then the third thing is that they can offer victims um, services and contacts for services. So um, the, uh, the number for the National Human Trafficking Hotline is 888-3737-888. So it's, it's easy to remember, 888-3737-888. And um, from there, they can, they can get a lot of services and support. How difficult is it for a victim once they're in sex trafficking, once they're being trafficked, how difficult is it for them to get out? So I think most people are probably more familiar with, um, with um, like domestic violence or abused children. And I think thinking of it in those terms is it's helpful to understand because most often the victim believes that they have a relationship with their trafficker and they believe that, that they love this person and that person loves them. And so when you think of a child in an abused, uh, in abuse relationship, or when you think of a, a spouse in an abused relationship, um, the, 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 the means and the difficulties by which somebody exits those types of relationships is often very difficult and requires a lot of support and, you know, services and, and that sort of thing. And it would be the same for victims of human trafficking. What, what can the public do to help these victims get back into the mainstream of life? Well, I get, you know, so one thing is a lot of people when they begin to understand what this issue is, a lot of people feel very passionate about it and they want to help, you know, these, these victims, um, helping working directly with them requires a lot of expertise and training. Um, and, um, and so typically it's most effective for the general public to kind of engage in a couple different ways. One is through general education, awareness and training and that sort of thing and supporting organizations in, that do that. And then the second is um, maybe through um, legislative public policy, you know, that sort of thing. And so depending on what your, what, what your strengths are, what your resources are, what your day job is, so to speak, um, you can really, at least in one of those two areas, probably find a way where you can make a significant difference. Um, even if it's just finding a local organization that helps victims, you know, in your city or community and supporting them, um, supporting them financially and supporting them through various resources. 
I feel like the awareness on sex trafficking has come so far over specifically the last five years. And it's a tough topic. I mean, I think it's one of those things where some people kind of shudder just at the thought of it. But how important is it to prevent this, you know, basically throughout the world? I mean, it's there's over four and a half million cases of this throughout the world. How important is it to spread this awareness? Well, it's vitally important to spread awareness, um, and it's um, significantly important that we're accurate in in when we do that. And so, um, when I sometimes when when we are looking at organizations or awareness programs, um, they can actually mislead us into misidentifying what a victim might look like or act like. You know, we we're. We, Hollywood has made, you know, these great movies about people being trafficked and, you know, trying to escape and all of this kind of stuff. But oftentimes those don't reflect the reality. You know, when you see images of young girls with their arms bound with tape or, um, you know, chained up somewhere in a dungeon-like environment, um, these typically are not accurate depictions of what trafficking looks like. And so... Um, in our public awareness and in our training, we need to make sure that we're where we are portraying it accurately, one, so that the general public, when they see trafficking, can be aware of it, or at least see potential trafficking, um, can be aware of it. And two, something that we don't think about very often, but when these cases go to court, the juries that are sitting, you know, in these trials they're thinking of like the old movie trafficked or, or, you know, um, things like that. And so when they hear something similar to the story that I explain, they're thinking, well, she's not tied up in some Eastern European dungeon somewhere, you know, and so that's not trafficking. Um, and so it's important even from um, the legal pers- and legislative and kind of justice perspective to accurately portray what human trafficking really does look like. Mm, And so you're talking about what it looks like. Talk about, you know, everybody always says, why don't they just leave? You know, why don't they just leave? And obviously if it was that easy, people would, but there's a lot of different abuse that these victims go through. Can you talk without getting too graphic, but talk about the different types of abuse that controls these victims? Sure. So um, some of us might be familiar um, with Stockholm Syndrome and things along those lines. I've already mentioned, you know, um, child abuse and and spousal abuse. I think kind of picturing the combination of those where you have a situation where somebody is not uh, typically bound physically, um, you know, to a location by ropes and chains and locked doors and that sort of thing but they're bound emotionally and psychologically. They're bound by threats and, um, and, and uh, violence. Um, you know, if it's a situation where there are multiple victims, kind of um, you're, you're kind of the, thinking of like the traditional pimp where he has maybe three or four or five girls working for him and they're all living, you know, in, in the same location. Um, you know, they may have free access in and out and of, of, um, of their place of residence. Um, 
you know, if, if it's a street-based kind of, you know, forced prostitution situation, obviously they're walking around the streets without, you know, um, any kind of restriction. And so we think, well, why don't they just run? Why don't they just leave that situation if it's so bad? We need to realize that there, um, there are those emotional ties where she believes that she loves him and that he loves her. There are um, threats and different forms of leverage. Like in my story, I gave you example of videos and pictures, but there's also, you know, um, maybe, you know, she has a child. And so he's threatening um, the child. There, there was a um, situation um, within the past year locally here where, where I'm at, where um, the lady was forced to go out and, and prostitute herself under the threat of violence to her child. So that might be. And there's the reality that this, this is a dangerous and, and violent world of, of human trafficking. And it's enforced through, through violence and even murder. And so um, if a victim has been in what they call in the life for any period of time, she likely has even seen one of her friends and one of the other girls that are victims with her get brutally beaten, killed by her trafficker. And so these are very real fears that would bind somebody and cause somebody to not leave the situation as horrendous as it is. Um, and, and so there's a lot of different things like that that would keep them in that situation. So as a parent, let's go back to the young teen. Um, growing up, parents have to have difficult conversations with their kids. And I think that sex trafficking is not one that they have. You know, they might, their biggest conversation might be the sex talk. You know, I mean, it all depends on the relationship with their child. But how important, as we talk about awareness, you know, as, as parents, you know, you teach we teach kids run from a gun, don't get into a car with a stranger, things like that. At what point do you feel that this topic should be addressed, especially with the fact that these people, these young teens have so much access to the internet? So I think getting back to kind of the three broad general categories of vulnerabilities that I mentioned, um, economics, relational, and aspirational. Um, as a parent or even as a friend, you know, um, you might have um, young adults or, or teenagers um, that are seeing some of these signs or indications as well. So if we think in terms of those three areas of vulnerability, I think um, being more really just um, human, you know, in these areas, and even as a parent, it, it's hard. I know I'm a parent. I have six kids. And so it's hard when um, you have to have conversations that they don't want to hear or, you know, that you don't want to hear as a parent. And sometimes, you know, maybe they get heated or they get, you know, um, um, it, out of control, if you will, in the sense that, you know, um, um, somebody comes storming out of the room and, you know, they're upset and crying. Well, I think it's important that we realize what's going on in those times and realize um, that the same vulnerabilities that the traffickers exploit are the ones that we who have relationships with these people 
can um, build as part of health, a healthy relationship with them. So obviously not in the heat of the moment. Let, let's say, you know, you're, you're, as a parent, you're having an argument with your daughter who wants to, um, you know, buy a certain dress or whatever. And it, and it could be um, any of those. Maybe you don't have the money to do it. And so she doesn't understand that. And so she's like, you don't get it. I have to have this dress. And, and as a parent, you're like, you don't get it. We can't afford it, you know. Um, or, you know, maybe the cut of it is too revealing. And so you don't want her to, to wear the dress, you know, and all of that. Um, and she doesn't, you know, and so the argument ensues. Well, not necessarily in the heat of the moment, but after after kind of the energy around that disagreement or misunderstanding dissipates, go back and have a conversation and say, listen, um, as a dad, I don't really fully understand, you know, um, everything. And I know that you really want this dress and it means a lot to you. Here are my concerns or here's the problems I'm having with it. What are your thoughts? You know, and having those types of conversations uh, are actually ways to prevent them becoming a victim of human trafficking because they know that even if they do have an argument with, with their parents, at some point they can come back and that can be not only fixed, but built upon so that they, so that your relationship deepers and they have a greater understanding. So I think to answer your question, we don't necessarily need to have the human trafficking talk with them. Like you have the sex talk or whatever, but when you have healthy conversations around these important things to them in healthy ways, those are actually preventative measures um, for them becoming groomed, to mitigate them becoming groomed as a victim of human trafficking. Mm, that's excellent. That's excellent. Is there, I know that this is a very deep topic and I'm sure that at being the expert that you are, we can go on and on, but for this episode, I'm going to wrap it here. Is there anything in regards to what we've spoken about today that you'd like that you would like to add that I haven't asked you about? Well, I guess just that you know most people are don't know where to go to get information about human trafficking, and you know, um, and so there are some resources that are reliable sources of of information around human trafficking, um, and so um, you know. I think I would just encourage people to go to those. There's a handful that um, um, that I think you 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 that I've given you, and you can post on the show notes. Um, but I'll just mention a couple in terms of organizations. There's some good national and international organizations like the Polaris Project, um, Shared Hope International, the International Justice Mission, um, Trafficking Matters. Um, and then in terms of really kind of governmental information, that, and they have good resources, good videos, good training materials and all of that, um, you can find on the Department of State's website, um, the International Organization for Migration's website, um, Department of Labor's website, and um, even the United States Attorney General's Trafficking in Persons website. So all of those um, are very good that you can go to get information and resources um, around the issue of human trafficking. Awesome. Awesome stuff, Chris. Well, listen, I appreciate you being on the show, being part of the ripple effect somewhere along the way. I hope we have you back again. Thanks so much for your time today. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was my honor. And uh, just really, uh, uh, if I could help again in any way, just let me know. You got it. Heavy topic, but a lot of great information by Chris Lim. It was uh, wonderful to have him. And hopefully in the future, we will revisit this subject of sex trafficking so we can learn more and build on our awareness, not only for ourselves, but so we can share it with others. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thank you so much for joining me in another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.